Welcome to the She Who Overcomes podcast. I'm Mandy B. Anderson, and a few years ago, I started a life and business coaching company with my bestie. I'm a wife, a business owner, a coach, a speaker, and the author of the book that inspired this podcast, She Who Overcomes, Rising Out of the Ashes of Your Circumstances. I'm also training to run my first half marathon. Oh, and did I mention I'm doing all of this while overcoming a life-threatening illness called cystic fibrosis? It's true. And hey, if I can rise up, so can you. Each week on this podcast, I'll be here to encourage and equip you with the skills you need to rise up as the successful overcomer you were designed to be. So grab your coffee and let's hang out. All right, overcomers, I am so excited for you to listen to the conversation that I had with a dear friend of mine. And I'm really excited to actually introduce you to my friend, Lara Govendo. Lara resides in Vermont for now as a wild adventure enthusiast whilst holding a master's degree in mental health counseling. She writes about living out loud and develops educational programs to restore hope to those in need all over the country. After her double lung transplant in August 2017, you can now find Laura checking items off her list that include things like traveling solo on the regular, exploring national parks, and belly laughing with her loves. You guys, this woman is passionate about connecting with like-minded people. She's passionate about sharing her story, and I can't wait to introduce you to my friend, Laura, a fellow cystic fibrosis warrior. So let's grab our coffee and dive right on into the conversation we had about living life out loud. All right, Laura, I am so excited to have you on the show. This is your official welcome, and I wish everybody could see you because you are wearing like this amazing black and white jacket that I have a little bit of envy over. It's gorgeous on you. (laughs) Thank you so much, Mandy. It's an honor to be here. I truly appreciate it. Well, I feel like we need to just catch up between the two of us and everybody gets to kind of hear our conversation because it's been a few years since we've actually talked on a Zoom or a Skype call, even though we've kind of chatted back and forth on Facebook through the years. But in that time, you have been through a lot of different things. Yeah, it's been a wild ride. (laughs) It has been. Well, I'm really excited to help share your story today. And um, I just want to go ahead and let you kind of take over and give us just a little bit of a snapshot of what you've been through, because really, your the challenge that you have overcome is respiratory failure and the journey of a double lung transplant. So yes. share with us a little bit about what that experience was like and maybe some lessons you've learned along the way. And let's just see where the conversation takes us. How does that sound? I like that. <laughs> um, so in the spring of 2015, I started an evaluation for a double lung transplant just because my health had started to kind of be erratic and nobody could get a handle on it. It was really unpredictable. Even though I was compliant with my medications and my treatments and doctor's visits, 
things were still a little sketchy. So I thought that this was something that would be far down the road, just the plan B on the back burner and get it done and over with and then not have to think about it. Um, fast forward to the fall, I started getting sicker, hospitalizations started to be more frequent. And by the spring of 2016, I had to resign as a mental health counselor for children because I was hit with blood clots and on oxygen 24-7. And in, let's see, it was about a little less than a year later, in early March of 2017, I went into respiratory failure. I was on 55 liters of oxygen in the ICU, and it was scary. But it was also a very peaceful time for me, which sounds crazy. Um, I felt like I was the closest to God that I had ever been in my life. I was in this state of just acceptance of where I was, surrendering everything to God and saying, this is in your hands. I can't do anything else. I'm here fighting for my life. I'm doing my part. And I believe that you're in control and you're the divine healer and you're the only one that contains the situation. So I'm just going to sit back and let it take its course and see where it goes. <laughs> but oddly enough, never for a moment did I doubt that I would make it. So there was one day that I almost died. They had wanted to intubate me and put me on ECMO, but one doctor out of 30 listened to me and what my unique needs were. And when they said that they were moving me back to the ICU, they left the room. And even though I was breathless on 55 liters of oxygen, I whispered to my mom, it's time to rally. And that's what I did. And the situation turned around within a few hours. And I was back to breathing still on high flow. But at that point, I wasn't able to talk or anything. So wow. it was really humbling, but also um, just reminded me of who was in charge. Mm -hmm. And no matter what the doctors say that, you know, God still has the last word. And he's proven that time after time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I was during that time, I was marginally lifted for my double lung transplant. And I was at the top of the list for about a month in Boston. And I didn't get the call, which was a little nerve wracking because I was so sick. Um, at that time, I bounced back to only needing a couple liters of oxygen miraculously. And I was transported back to Vermont where I was hospitalized pretty much the whole time until five months later, I got the call for new lungs. I was um, transplanted on August 18th, 2017. And the six weeks leading up to that, I started running in the hospital and six liters of oxygen filling a tank Wait a behind minute. me. You were running in the hospital while you're waiting for a lung transplant. Yes. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was Is that like not normal? I would think it's not. Yeah, no. Okay. Everyone asked me, they're like, okay, let me get this straight. You were running, you had six liters of oxygen, a tank behind you, just trying to paint this picture. Um, I just... I don't know. I got this uh, 
well, message from God. He was like, it's time to start running. Like you can't wait for a long transplant. You need to just start where you're at. And I started running every day outside and it was really hard, but I think that that is what sustained me until I got the call because Mm -hmm. it kept my lungs as strong as they could be and as clear as they could be because Mm -hmm. during that time, the IV antibiotics had stopped working. Usually after two weeks, of course, things turn around and Mm -hmm. I was getting worse on them. So I was bringing up buckets stuff like it was pretty astronomical about um so the call came at just the right time and it was a pretty powerful journey of just unbecoming the things that I wasn't and being able to be my most authentic self because when you're so close to death nothing else matters. You know, all of that stuff just gets stripped away from you and you get real, you get real with yourself, you get real with God, you get real with your relationship. So during that time, that season, I was able to rid myself of a lot of toxic ties or, Mm -hmm. you know, people that were sucking life out of me instead of adding to my life. Uh And just be able to spend time with God and, you know, go on the battlefield, get in the arena and get done what I needed to. I mm-hmm. think to just prepare me for the new life that I've been given. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also enriched my relationships. Like I've seen such a shift with friends and family and new people that I meet that there's just no BS anymore. You know, you, <laughs> You kind of just like cut to the core and mm-hmm. this is who we are and let's get to the meat and potatoes of it. We don't need the service stuff. So it's been a really, really radical journey for me that I'm super grateful to have been granted. Okay. So you said something that I really want to hone in on. You said unbecoming what I wasn't. So can you share a little bit about what that, that looked like in your life? Yeah, just because, you know, we're trained from the time that we're born, really, to fit into this box of society where, you know, your goals have to look a certain way. They have to be, you know, grow up, you go to college, you get the career, the marriage, the kids, the white picket fence, all of that. (laughs) And I've never fit that mold, you know, for one reason or another. And coming to terms with, you know, that's not who I am and that's okay. And I can still love myself regardless of what I accomplish. Um, I think it was a huge wake up call for me as um, someone trying to figure out my identity once I stopped working and once I, you know, lost all these areas of my life, it was like, who am I now? You know, because when you meet someone, it's, hi, how are you? What do you do? And when you don't have an answer to that, you know, you need to be creative in what you say and also confident in who you are, that your worth isn't changed because you don't have a career at the moment or 
you know, relationships in one capacity or another, Mm -hmm. or your life doesn't look like everybody else. Mm -hmm. So I think all of that just kind of like fell off and it's like, oh, this is who I am. And I can love that person just as she is without striving to be something that I don't even want to be. I think that's one of the things that has kind of connected you and I over the years is this sense of personal growth and development. Um, I think we met through a mutual friend years ago, like I think in 2012 from yeah. someone that was maybe at a Danny Johnson event or something like that. But it, and, and we've never been face to face, obviously, because cystic fibrosis patients, we have to stay, you know, five feet apart or six feet apart. Right. Um, the movie gets us all confused. <laughs> but um, The other thing about that is we also live in different states. So we've never yeah. even had the opportunity to be in the same place. So where are you living right now, Laura? I live in Vermont, okay. uh, just north of Burlington. And you're kind of a little traveler, aren't you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you're a wandering spirit. I love that. Tell totally. us some of your adventures that like, first of all, were you able to travel before your lung transplant? Did you do that as often? And what have you been doing now after your transplant? So pre-transplant was pretty nerve wracking, especially once I went on oxygen, because it was a lot easier for me to just do a day trip, like go somewhere and then come back, even if it was late, because my oxygen was there, my treatments were there. Everything was set up. Otherwise, I would be lugging so much everywhere. And that was a lot because I couldn't breathe. And it was just very anxiety-ridden to go anywhere and be apart from that stuff. So my travel was very limited. And I didn't get to see a lot of family and friends for a number of years because of that. And post-transplant, I haven't been able to stop traveling. It's just wild to be able to take my pill box and just go on a whim, you know, be spontaneous and not have that anxiety about making sure I had all of my treatments and my nebulizer medications and enough oxygen and so so forth, you know. So now I've, let's see, um, my first major trip was a cross-country trip last year. I wanted to commemorate my new life and I wanted to also find out who Laura was in this new life because it was another identity crisis of, okay, well, I don't have to go to the hospital all the time now and I don't have treatments to worry about and oxygen and I don't have to think about every breath and just radically different Mm -hmm. now. So that was a huge piece of it, but also finding God in a new way was a like the driving factor for me going because it had always been fighting for my life or, you know, desperate for him in those moments of, am I going to make it? This is life and death situation. And when that was stripped from me, it's like, okay, God, where are you? I, I don't have that anymore. Like, where do I find you now? So that was a really powerful experience for me. And also, I would never do that pre-transplant. Go on a cross-country trip for two months by myself, Mm -hmm. just wandering around the country. It was 
crazy. <laughs> so pre-transplant, you know, you mentioned that you had kind of thought about every breath. Was that something you kind of did your entire life or was it something that started a few months or years before leading up to the transplant and it just became your life? If you can share a little bit about that, because cystic fibrosis is one of those diseases that is so different for every person because of how many different mutations there are of it. And so everybody's experience is different. And I think just to give people a little bit of a glimpse of what, what the majority of your life was, was like versus leading up to the transplant, because I would imagine just from my own experience with cystic fibrosis, that there had to have been a moment where all of a sudden it started to become more at the forefront of your mind than it ever had before. But I could be wrong. That might, that was my experience. Um, and I haven't had a lung transplant, but that was my experience in a season when I got really sick. So what was that like for you? Sure. So like you said, CF is so unique that every case is individual. You know, my CF was always very aggressive lung disease. No matter what I did, I could never really get ahead of it. Um, it I mean, the last few years, it was obviously more escalated and worse. But I would say pretty much my whole life, I thought about every breath because I was always super congested all the time. And it was the normal for me to produce a lot of mucus. Like that was my normal. I never went down to nothing. So the last few years when I was on oxygen, it was even more so because, you know, I had to divvy out my energy for the day. Okay. I only have enough breath to take a shower and go to the grocery store. So I can't clean my house. I can't go hang out with my friends. I can't go on a walk or whatever, you know? So I had to be very intentional about what I was doing for the day and how much breath I was kind of, you know, allotting for. And also just how hard it was to get from A to B, you know, going to anywhere was a struggle because I was carrying a tank that was heavy mm -hmm. and figuring out how am I going to get around this place with an oxygen tank. And later, like before transplant, it was in a cart because I was on constant flow. You know, it was like, constantly anxiety ridden of am I going to be safe in this environment to be able to breathe and use my oxygen and not run out so mm -hmm. that was the reality for so long and to have a switch flipped and not have that be a thing was very difficult for me so I find it interesting that your profession is that you're a mental health counselor for kids right yeah, I've done all different populations in counseling, but that was the primary. Okay, so the most having that that education and that background as your profession, what did you notice within yourself as you went through this transition from being on the transplant list to waiting to getting new lungs to having any uh, at, you know post transplant issues or anything like that like how has the knowledge of what you know in your profession helped or hindered what you've been through so it's helped in that I'm much 
more painfully aware of <laughs> like the mental health process, you know, like signs of anxiety and depression and figuring out what coping skills are because my coping skills pre-transplant were very different than what they are now. And being able to process the grieving between one life and the next and also the different stages and seasons that I went through was interesting, but also um, very rewarding just to learn more about myself and more about what God had for me, what he had planned, because it just gave me more, opened my eyes more to what I was becoming and what my, how my purpose and vision was being shaped because of my experience and just how I've been able to use that to help others and ultimately how that's going to be in a bigger capacity, you know? So that was extremely helpful to have the background in mental health and know kind of going through the flow of things and knowing this is the process. Um, I wouldn't say it made it easier (laughs) just because it was, you know, a lot of outbursts of just falling to your knees and crying and ugly cry, you know. Uh, (laughs) But I imagine that was really healing in a way too, probably. I have found that ugly crying is sometimes the only thing that can fix how you feel is just to get it out. Absolutely. You know, it's just this release of pent up emotion and Mm -hmm. not even knowing how to put it into words. So it's like, I just got to get rid of this. So, um, and it's also drawn me into a deeper relationship with God and understanding who he is and how he speaks to me in different ways than, you know, other people just experience God in their own personal way, I think. So, um, it was really helpful on this side of transplant to figure out that a lot of it was trauma and learning more about trauma. And I'm actually working on my certification in trauma training to add to my repertoire, just because I believe wholeheartedly in how it affects everybody. You know, Um, There's so many different forms of trauma and how it changes a person, changes their perceptions, how they interact with the world and themselves. And Mm -hmm. um, that was really eye opening to finally bring it together because I knew that there was something going on like, okay, I don't know what this is, not figuring it out. And then like doing research and, you know, nailing it. It's like, oh, this is what it is. Okay, now I know what to do and where what resources to seek out. So when you say trauma, was it going through trauma of the transplant experience or just living life with an illness that there was no cure for or a little bit of both? It's definitely a combination of both. You know, I think that um, trauma is underestimated and there's not a lot of education out there about it because just even from a young age, the interruption in being so sick with your attachment and how that kind of changes your outlook of the world. And, you know, it kind of, it creates this reality that 
you're stuck in fight or flight mode. So you're constantly seeing everything and everyone is a threat because you don't know what's safe and what's not when you feel so out of control in your body. And your body remembers trauma, your cells do on a subconscious level. You're not even aware of it. And being stuck in that fight, flight, or freeze mode, you know, I've been able to identify like what situations makes me do what and like, okay, I need to work through this. And there's a trauma release exercise that is really, you know, on a biological level, been able to start teasing that out and creating a different um, view of the world. So it's pretty amazing stuff. I think that's so fascinating. Like that's one of the topics that my best friend and I talk about a lot is trauma. Like we were even saying the other day in one of our coaching programs that we should start a trigger calendar because there's certain times of the year where even though you've moved forward and you're in a healthier place, sometimes just the season can be a reminder that can trigger you into feeling a certain way, not necessarily that you take all these steps back all the time, but it just affects you. And you kind of walk around, you know, with your head in the clouds, like what is happening? Why don't I feel at my best? And then you look on the calendar calendar, and you're like, oh, this is like the anniversary of that situation in my life. No wonder. And yeah. so doing a trigger calendar is something that Seriously, we need it around here in our offices because it's it's good to know because then it's like, oh, okay, between, you know, uh, health situations and loss anniversaries, like grief anniversaries yeah. and, you know, all of those different things. I think it's good to be aware of what are the circumstances in your life that have caused trauma, not so that you stay stuck in it, but just so that you can be aware of okay, what are your um, subconscious coping mechanisms that you haven't paid attention to yet? Because that's what you're going to fall back into when when these things happen if you're not paying attention. Absolutely. And being in tune with yourself and those triggers is so essential <clears throat> because that's actually what <laughs> triggered me to seek out um, a resource. A greater resource with trauma was because in the spring of this year, I had severe chest pressure and I didn't know what was going on. I thought I had blood clots again and um, I went to the ER for it and they couldn't find anything about what was going on. And then I was thinking about the time of year and it fell in line exactly was when I was on high flow oxygen two years ago. And I experienced this last year and didn't know what was going on either. It was mm -hmm. the exact same time where I went to the ER with chest pressure and pain and not breathing well. And it's like, your cells remember and you don't on a conscious level. Mm -hmm. So I had to find something that, you know, could start unfreezing that and change the relationship with that trauma so it wasn't affecting me. Mm -hmm. So I know uh, shortly, like within a year or two after our apartment fire, I would notice that like every fall, and it was weird because our apartment fire happened the very first part of October, but in September, like from the middle of September to the middle of October is when I'm the most likely 
to be triggered from those memories. And it's the smell of fall. Oh, wow. Autumn that does it. And because I've had four sinus surgeries already, my smelling senses aren't top notch. (laughs) So I don't always register what I'm taking in. And I would have like these weird pressures in my chest where I'd be like, I don't know what's wrong. Like I just came, I had a doctor appointment a couple of weeks ago and everything's fine. I'm doing great. But I just feel like, I don't know. And it was one of my best friends who's a nurse who said, I bet you're having a panic attack because the fire happened in a couple of weeks. Oh and my gosh. <laughs> the moment I realized it, it was like, oh my gosh, that's it. And then they stopped. And so it was just being aware of like, oh, that's what it is. And so not that the worry or the fear didn't stop, but the feeling of it stopped yeah. for me because now I was aware of what, what was causing it. And then I could better prepare and make sure, okay, I got to make sure I'm doing all the things that keep me at my best and leaning on those people that I know I can lean on in those moments too. Yeah. It's, it's amazing what the human organism is and how it reacts and Mm -hmm. how it's just all connected. You know, your mental, emotional, spiritual, physical health is all intertwined. Oh, completely. So what do you think if you could narrow down three Uh, three lessons that you have learned from your experience of going through respiratory failure and having a double lung transplant, like what would be those three lessons that you would really hope to share with people? So number one would be to work on your belief game. Um, I had a lifeline that has carried me through that whole season and still continues to do so. It's um, a passage in Mark eleven twenty two through 24 that says, if you believe with all your heart and do not doubt, you will be granted whatever you ask for. And that is what I clung to. It's like, okay, God, this is what I'm asking for. And I'm believing and there's zero doubt because I've got nothing left to lose. And that's really been a mantra of mine. When you have nothing left to lose, you have everything to gain. So believing that it's going to work out or you're going to be okay and actually believing it, not making a plan B has been an essential, you know, just something that I've lived by and it's always worked out for me. (laughs) I like that work on your belief game. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um. A second thing would be to be really cautious about who you surround yourself with. That was something that I had to be very um, careful with just because during the time of respiratory failure, I had very little breath and energy and I had to be very intentional about who was getting my time and who I was sending my breath on. And I think that was a great core um, exercise for me to learn who was able to be in any situation with me, you know, be in my mess, be celebrating my victories with me, anything and everything in between. Um, That was a huge life lesson for me. Mm -hmm. And 
surge, um, I think would be to be authentic and that is so important in living your life to the fullest is just to do what you know is in your heart to do and to be who you are and that will attract the people that you want into your life and it will also give you this overwhelming peace and joy of knowing that you are living your best life by being who you are and who just celebrating who God designed you to be on purpose. Um, that was extremely eye-opening through this season too. I love all three of those points, but I think my favorite is who are you spending your breath on? Girl, that is like <laughs> a mic drop comment right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's good for anybody to think about because I think so often we try to be everything to everybody without knowing who we are and where we're supposed to, you know, focus our attention. And that's kind of a big deal, like focusing your attention on um, where, where God is telling you to focus your attention instead of just being pulled this way and that way and all these different things that can happen. And that doesn't mean that uh, you should not love people. Right. But be very, very, intentional about where you're spending your time, where I'm going to start saying that, who am I spending my breath on? That's a good one. That is so yeah. good. Um, I hope that people learn that without going through what I've gone through. Right. You know, <laughs> if I can just save them the pain of that, that would be awesome. Mm -hmm. um, but it's true. It's like, if we're spending time with people that aren't really adding to our life or making us feel joy and peace most of the time and if we're doing things that isn't doing that either like then what are you doing you know <laughs> like, right what's you the point life exactly and that's one of my favorite quotes from a poet Mary Oliver I don't know if you're familiar with her work mm -mm. but she says um tell me what will you do with your one wild and precious life and that is just so profound to me because it kind of brings me back to, oh, okay, yeah, like I get this one life to live and I'm going to live it how it makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. So you, you had texted me, uh, so we were just kind of texting back and forth on Messenger and you said that living your life out loud to help others is kind of another one of your mantras that you use. Yes. <laughs> and I said, do you actually use that? Like, is that something you say all the time or did you just come up with it? And you said, that's something you use often. I do. Um, I actually started that um, in 2015, I believe it was, um, when I started talking about having CF. Because up until that point, nobody knew I had it. I was very good at hiding it. And that was just kind of the culture growing up in our era that nobody knew what CF was. Nobody knew that I had it. It was just this kind of other part of me that I didn't talk about. And I wanted to be able to talk about it before my friends saw me with oxygen tubing shoved up my nose. And I was really sick. And I decided you know, during that season that 
I had, I had to step out and be bigger than myself. And I was scared as all get out because the, <laughs> the thing I least like doing is being vulnerable and putting myself out there, which I know it sounds crazy because I do it all the time. You're so good at it. (laughs) Oh God. I like cringe at every post. And it's because, you know, I get very humbled and kind of put in my place when I hear God say, you know, it's not about you. You know, we're here on this earth to share our story so that other people know they're not alone. And us humans are created for connection and I think that was a big thing for me was to be able to connect with other people that showed me that I wasn't alone. And I know how powerful that is. And to be able to give that gift to somebody else is just out of this world for me. It's very, I take that very seriously. And it's just a very precious piece that, you know, I can do without, you know, mostly without thinking about it now because I've conditioned myself for that. But sharing your story is just powerful, you know, especially in this day and age of technology and also with people that maybe can't leave their house. And this is their only way of connecting is through social media or whatever it Mm -hmm. is, you know, and I, I just know that, um, in order to achieve a bigger purpose than what is in front of you, you have to take that step out in faith and just kind of bear it all. Like mm-hmm. I've had a double lung transplant. I have nothing else to lose. I have nothing else to hide. Like here it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like you've done a great job of getting involved in the cystic fibrosis community since like, like since your lung transplant and maybe even leading up to it. And I got to be honest, that is something that I've had a hard time with because I am the type of person where when I become great friends with somebody, I love them with my whole heart. Yeah. And I don't handle loss well. And I can count probably on more hands than I'd like to the amount of people I have lost in the CF community that I've known since I was really little And um, one of them was a very good friend of mine who had a double double lung transplant a couple of years ago. And then she ended up with cancer afterwards and she passed away in 2017, probably right around the time that all of this was happening for you. And so one of the things that I notice is I pull myself away from getting close to people because I don't want to have to deal with the sadness of it. And I'm realizing that that is not the way to handle it. Um, I'm missing out on a lot of great relationships and just getting to know some fantastic people. However, I've also noticed growing up that you have to be, you know, just like you learned how to be very intentional about who you're spending your breath on. I've had to learn that as well. Like I've never hidden the fact that I had cystic fibrosis, but I definitely have noticed that I find a lot of negative people within the CF community. And so what I've really enjoyed lately is finding all of these amazing overcomers on Instagram within the CF community who are doing things they were told they could never do, 
like exceeding limitations beyond anything I've ever even tried to dream of. I mean, I've seen trainers and like, what do you call it? Triathlon athletes, like all these different amazing people who are beating the odds. And so what are, what are some of the things that you have experienced as you've gotten more involved in the CF community and, and what would you say to encourage people to lean in? So I had a really hard time joining the community just because I had never been a part of it. It was scary and I didn't even know how to interact with other CFers. And honestly, I was met with so much love and grace and people reaching out to me. You know, I introduced myself in a few groups. Um, both CF and transplant groups and put a little of my story and I had people messaging me and I've met my bestest friends through that. (laughs) Honestly, you connect on a different level when you have this huge part of your life in common Mm -hmm. and something that nobody understands unless they're in it and going through it. And for me, it was very eye-opening and kind of like, I wish I had done this sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also have had to, you know, kind of filter out the negativity and um, people who have a different mindset about their CF. You know, um, I've never thought of CF as terminal. I thought of it, you know, it's a chronic illness. Like, I have no idea what's going to kill me. So um, another piece of that, of course, is the loss piece, which is devastating. Mm-hmm. You know, you create these connections with people and um, seeing them pass from the same thing that you're fighting every day hits way too close and trying to figure out, you know, why you've made it and they haven't can create guilt and how your journey is different from theirs, you know, just so many different factors. But I think the biggest thing that I've learned through this process is that I'm the same as you. Like I go all in on my relationship. I love with my whole heart. I love hard and I'm in it to win it, you know? Um, But I figured out that through my own season that you know, nobody is immune to the tragedies of this life. I've seen people step outside their house perfectly healthy and get hit by a car and die. Or I've seen people that are perfectly healthy get hit with cancer and die six months later. You know, anybody can go through something like that. And it isn't just CFers. It isn't just transplant people everybody has something they're dealing with and nobody's promised tomorrow. And that's the reality of the situation. So I would rather have deep, meaningful relationships that are filled with love and friendship and closeness than to not have that at all, because that Mm -hmm. is a big part of who I am connecting with other people on that level and you know, not protecting myself anymore because 
during my season of being so close to death, I was so grateful for the people that didn't protect themselves and didn't run away when I was, nobody knew what was going to be my tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has been the biggest gift that I've been given. And to be able to give that to somebody else and assure them that no matter the outcome, like whatever mess you're in, I'm going to go all in in it (laughs) and be Mm -hmm. there. And it's not going to scare me away. And I think that is a big factor in how you weed people out too. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. I think, you know, when I went through, my season of being so sick and almost dying, the there were two people that were my best friends and they stuck around and they were with me in the mess. Um, yeah. They, I, I'm pretty sure that they had to have a conversation between the two of them saying, hey, we're not going to leave her. You need to, you know, lean in here. And yeah. I know that they've told me that. And one of them, one of my best friends uh, doesn't have cystic fibrosis, but she has Crohn's and ulcerative colitis and she's had them her entire life. And so she grew up in hospitals too. And so we connect on that level because we both know what it's like to have these chronic illnesses that, you know, there's always challenges with, there's always things that happen and setbacks, maybe financially that you didn't plan for, or you did plan for, but maybe you weren't 100% prepared for, even though you were planning and all these different things. And so we connect on that level. And I'm just like, our friendship is stronger because of the fact that we leaned in on each other during those seasons. And um, I think that is such a beautiful thing. And just the other day, we were talking about how a lot of times people think that the closest relationships that you have are the people you spend the most time with. And I don't think that's necessarily true because you can spend a lot of time with people and really not know them. Yes. Oh really my God. Yes. That rich, <laughs> deep connection of a fulfilling yeah. relationship. And I think that is so uh, sad that people miss out on that because they're not willing to be vulnerable, because they're not willing to let people see their mess and, yeah. and see what they're going to do when they see all sides of you. And I think so many times we think that's just in a marriage. It's not. It's in great friendships too. Absolutely. You know, my deepest friendships were the ones that, you know, the ones who showed up in my hospital room and showed up when I couldn't leave my house. Mm-hmm. And people came out of the woodwork that I never expected and have been there. And then other people left that I didn't expect to leave either. Yes. Um. And I do agree about, you know, connecting on a different level. Um, I think that's what makes it very difficult for me to have a romantic relationship. (laughs) You know, it's, I've noticed a lot of people connect on a surface level and I just don't know how to do that anymore with Mm -hmm. everything that I've lived. It's like, I want to get to the meat and potatoes of this and, you know, You got to find somebody who loves personal growth and development and who loves God just as much as you. And then you're golden. Exactly. Sounds sounds so simple. However, comma, (laughs) the reality is kind of, you got to be in it for the long haul, right? Exactly. So yeah, it's just, it's not worth 
settling for. No. But yeah. So I definitely, you know, relate to that, just being able to connect with people on a deeper, more meaningful level, because I feel like that is one of the most rewarding things of relationships, but also the biggest part of life and why we're here. Mm-hmm. I am just, I can't wait to listen to this episode myself because I feel like there are so many good things that are, I know are going to encourage me on a day where maybe I just need to remember, hey, the, you know, it matters. Stay, stay the course, keep it up because um, I am one of those, I'm a little bit nerdy sometimes. And sometimes I'm the one who needs the the podcast episodes the most. So um, but I, I really appreciate all that you shared with people. There's so much wisdom that you've shared here. And um, I always ask one last question for my, my podcast guests. And that is something just for fun. Um, if you were a shoe, what would you be and why? So I would definitely be a flip-flop. Um, just because that's my favorite shoe and what I wear all the time, (laughs) but also because if it were up to me, I would be barefoot, like all seasons, every day of my life, just because I love, I guess that's the hippie part of me wanting to just (laughs) be barefoot and closest to the earth and connecting with nature. And every time I go hiking, I like have to, you know, when I rest, I take my shoes off and I'm like, Ah, okay. Now I feel at peace. So I, yeah, it would definitely be a flip flop. <laughs> well, there is nothing better than having your toes squish in the grass or in the beach uh, or anything yeah. like, like just yeah. having your feet on the earth is a exactly. great feeling. Oh, it's such a beautiful energy. It is. Yeah. So Lara, where can people connect with you online or on social media? So I do have a website where I have been blogging sporadically and hopefully will be more consistent. Uh, it's at uh, com, And on Facebook and Instagram, I have pages, uh, which is Lungs for Lovey. It's Lungs, the number four, and then L-O-V-E-Y. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being my guest today. I uh, look forward to sharing your story and we'll stay in touch. There's so much more for you to do in this life. So thanks for being on here. Thank you, Mandy. It's been a true honor. We will be back with another episode for you next week. For now, if you would take a moment and write a review or subscribe to the podcast, that means the world to those of us who work so hard to produce every single episode. For more information, go to BigBlueCouchCoaching.com or find me on Facebook and Instagram under Big Blue Couch Coaching. A shout out to my hubby, Mr. Nate Anderson, for editing this podcast. And most importantly, I hope that you found something today that gave you the courage to rise up and overcome that thing that you've been facing. You're stronger than you think. I'll see you next week.